0: I decided tonight, uh, as I left, that I'd grab myself a towel. And I told my wife, yeah, small goal tonight, I'm going to try and uh, preach without sweating. And she quickly told me, Phil, that's impossible, that's not going to happen. So I I brought my own towel, and I thought that was kind of cool, but um, I knew that I really was sweating last night because when I walked in, Ron handed me a towel, too, and said, here, I I brought one for you. So I'm uh, I'm pretty set right here with... uh, with, with my towelage here. Wow. Kind of wild. Podium, a microphone, and two towels. Oh, that's good. Uh, I want to start tonight by, uh, really saying thank you to you guys as a, as a church. We, uh, we always love being here. And I'm always overwhelmed with, uh, how much you love each other and how much you love us. We uh, we pop in and out of your lives, but very much feel like uh, we are uh, we are a part of your body here, and I appreciate that very very much. Last night, even as I uh, was finished preaching and was standing uh, over here in the back, uh, lady here came and asked me, tell, "Tell me, tell me about your housing situation. Tell me about uh, what's going on in Quito and." And I, and I, I just be really honest, I was blown away. I, I kind of said, well, we're, we're still in a place. And, um, and she said, well, you know, we've been praying for the last year for your housing situation that you would be able to stay where you're at. We're renting a house in Quito and, and the landlord has, uh, had it up for sale for quite a while. And, uh, actually, Elizabeth and I were talking tonight to the drive here. When I told her that story, she said, you know, I've never thought about this, but maybe he doesn't have a chance to sell that house. Because, you know, you guys of the body are praying for that. So um, I, I just really appreciate that. Appreciate that, that you pray. Appreciate the details um, to which you pray. Appreciate that we feel like when we come that you really know about us. And you really uh, don't just talk about praying, but, but you really do. And I really appreciate that. I want to just throw a couple things your way just for you to continue to pray for us. This next year will be a... Uh, be a year of transition. We have been up here in, uh, in California since the beginning of June, and we'll head back uh, actually next Monday morning. And this is uh, my two oldest kids. It's their last year in high school. They're seniors. And so this next year, we are really praying several ways. Um, one, that God would just give us a phenomenal time with our kids over this last year. We, uh, we love each other as a family. We get along well. And our kids are walking with the Lord, and we praise God for that. But we realize that this time next year, uh, we'll be packing up, but we will not be taking two of our kids with us. Uh, they'll be staying here and going to college. And so with that, um, those of you that have walked that road, you know that, um, that that can be difficult. And for us, as we think about not just being in another city or another part of the state, but actually being another continent... Um, that, that's, that's going to be tough stuff for us. So really just praying um, for uh, my heart as dad and Elizabeth's heart as mom as we think about that over the next year and just really redeem the time with Amber and Logan. And then for them as they think about coming back. Uh, they'll probably be here in the state of California still kind of thinking through the whole college thing. They've got a couple different options. But wisdom for them as they really look at not only education um, options but wh- where does God uh, want them to be. And how is God leading them and the direction of of, uh, their schooling? So if you could be praying in that way, that would be wonderful um, for us. And then with Natalie and Austin as well, just continuing to enjoy them. Natalie will be a sophomore next year, and Austin will be jumping into seventh grade in junior high. So they are uh, at an international school there in Quito go you to know, a place called Alliance Academy, and just a great school, a place where it's about 60% missionary kids. A school of about 600, um, where they go to school in, in Quito, about 60% missionary kids, and then the rest are made up of, of kids whose parents are oil company or embassy or government or military or Ecuadorians that are right there. But just a great school where they can not only get a great education, but learn about the Lord And I have an opportunity to be in chapel on a a regular basis, and then we've got some ministry on campus there with them. So, again, thank you for praying, and I appreciate that you guys would continue to do that on behalf of us and our family. We have been talking the last couple days about walking with God. Sunday, shared with you, kind of out of Isaiah 43, the big picture, sort of why... Why are we created? What is the point? What is the purpose? And we talked out of Isaiah 43 about God creating us to know Him, to believe Him, and to understand that He is God. Last night, we took a look at Matthew 28 and really talked a little bit about our walk is a process. It's a process where hopefully we are always learning. And I hope that last night what you walked away with is a a challenge to, you know what, I need to be real. In the middle of that. Amen. And when, when we're pretentious, when we think that you know we can't share, we end up throwing those walls up. We end up insulating ourselves. And it's the last thing God wants, and I think the first thing that the enemy wants, to be able to separate us. And how important the body is. How important it is for us to be real. Tonight I want to share with you uh, a little more. And I want to take us in a in a direction, hopefully a step in the direction of understanding who God has called us to be, what it means for us to be biblical Christians. And again, I want to share with you just in the, the way that God has shared with me, a lesson from Scripture of something that God taught me in a, over this last several months. And I hope tonight as we take a look again at God's Word, that God will challenge us in our lives, our walk with Him, and the impact that we can have and should have in the lives of the people around us. So let's pray together. And then we're headed towards Mark chapter 12. But let's pray together. Lord, again, thank You for tonight. Thank You for saving us. Thank You for the good news of the Gospel that has come into our lives and changed us. You tell us in Your Word that the old has gone and the new has come. Thank You that the new is Jesus. And pray tonight as we are here together and Take a look at your word. I pray that again, you would take that word, the seed of it, and sprinkle it upon our lives. And then give us hearts that readily accept your truth. And then cause your word to grow in our lives 30, 60, 100 times. Lord, thank you for the fact that you are here in this place. And again, we invite you to speak. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Grab your Bibles and open them to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. And we're going to jump in at verse 28 of Mark chapter 12. And what's been happening is that Jesus, as He often did when he was here on earth he is in the, the middle of teaching and preaching and sharing stories and illustrations and and right now just in this chapter of mark chapter 12 he was teaching a bit when he suddenly was surrounded by people that were religious leaders of the day and they began to hit him with different topics and different issues and it's kind of like a you know, time where they could just say, okay, we know that you're intelligent, know that you're a religious leader, and so let me throw a question at you. Earlier in the chapter, they had thrown a tax question at him. You know, what, what about paying taxes? You know, you got Caesar up here, should, you, should we pay taxes to him or not? What should we do? And they had discussed that. They, they threw, when they were done with that, they, they threw a question at him about marriage. At the resurrection, sort of told them a story. You know, will there be you know, giving and taking in marriage on the, on the other side? They were in the middle of these kinds of discussions. We would probably call them a religious debate today. And we pick it up in verse 28 and read with me. Mark chapter 12 and verse 28 says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them of all the commandments, which is the most important? That's an American question for us, isn't it? Isn't that one that we want to know? You know, Jesus, is is there any chance there's a Reader's Digest version of this book? That's how we would ask it today. You know, as a culture and a society, we're just all about it happening quickly. Everything needs to happen Quickly. You know, we stand in front of the microwave and are frustrated with three-minute popcorn. I don't know, you've been there, the movie's on, it's on pause, I've got everything ready. Come on, what's taking you so long? And you're standing in the kitchen going, oh, come on, three minutes. Now, why can't they make one-minute popcorn? I don't know. But, you know, that, that's where we're at. This question, that's what he's asking The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one. And there's no other but Him. To love Him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength... And to love your neighbors yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Amazing discussion that happens right here in these verses. And as I was reading these, and as I was, again, journeying through this, asking God, God, what what is in here? I, I don't know how you study your Bible, but, but I ask a lot of questions when I come to a passage. And, and I ask a lot of questions of God, and, and, and why is this in here, and what's happening? I begin to make some observations. Write them out. One of the observations I wrote down right away is one right there in verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. And there are so many people who want to debate today. There is so much time spent debating and asking religious questions. And oftentimes, the point is not learning, the point is just debating. And there's a lot of people that want to stay in this realm. Let's talk theology and let's debate theology. Jewish rabbis, he would have been one of them, right? They're teachers of the law. They had 613 individual statutes in the law. And they broke them down between heavy laws and light laws. The ones that were really important, and then the ones that were important, but secondarily. And they covered everything. They covered the way you dressed, the way you walked, where you would walk, when you would walk the way you would wash your hands, it covered everything. And he comes and says, you know what, Jesus, I want to debate. And I want to talk about the law. I remember in college, at the end of our dorm, there was a lounge where a lot of the the scholarly students would hang out, or at least that's what they called themselves. And they would sit on the couches and they would come out of Bible class. And any anytime you walked into the lounge, here, here were these few, you know, kind of the chosen frozen that would sit in this room. <laughs> and and, and they, would, they would love to debate. And if you happen to walk through the lounge, they would want to draw you into it. And they would want to draw you in. They, they would say, you know what, hey, we're, we're talking about predestination and we'd love to know what you think about that. Tell us about who's chosen or who's not. And the debate would be going back and forth or or, or the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, do do we have a free will or is it all the Holy Spirit? Do we depend on Him or do we not? You know, angels, let's talk about angels and how many are there and and do they really show up in your life? And they would go back and forth, make presentations. Satan's power was a, a really popular topic in the lounge at the end of the dorm. Can you lose your salvation? There was one that went back and forth all the time, and occasionally the discussion about dinosaurs—where do they fit in? And what about what about the age of the Earth? Is it is it really old, millions of years, or or is it you know just sixty five hundred to ten thousand? And and these debates would just go on and on and on. And I remember sometimes walking by the lounge. And again, these group of guys in there, and, and, and I, maybe they had incredible ministry. I don't know. All we ever saw is them sitting on the couch in the lounge debating each other. You know, the ministry of debating, I guess. I don't know what they were doing. But I remember as a young college guy thinking, come on, guys. And you're wasting so much time. And at the end of the day, what difference are you really making in here? And this teacher of the law came and heard them debating. Now don't get me wrong, theology is vitally important. We can look at Scripture and we can look at 1 Peter three fifteen. but in your hearts set apart Christ Jesus as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Do we need to be able to answer why we believe Absolutely. Absolutely. But we also need to pay attention that we're supposed to be answering questions, not debating theology. Maybe, just maybe, our lives need to reflect in such a way that people are asking me about the reason. Do you ever stop and ask yourself, how come nobody asks me any questions about my faith? Because according to that verse, people are supposed to be asking. Set apart Christ Jesus as Lord, that comes first. Theology is incredibly important. 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Now, do not get me wrong tonight. Theology is incredibly important. But good theology always works itself out in our lives. Always. And if our theology does not get worked out in our lives, then it oftentimes leads to one of two things, either legalism or pride. I end up with all of the answers and all of it, and I become a legalist. This is the way everybody needs to toe the line. And if you're not, then you're not spiritual. And the other place it goes is it goes to pride. I know all the answers. I remember as a student in high school going to some debates, Christian debates, quizzes. And we would get together and it would be a room full of hundreds of Christian high school students. And they would set up tables and where you would answer questions. And they had a little buzzer, kind of like a Christian Jeopardy almost. And the question would come up and people would, would you know ring in and they would know the answer. And sometimes they were complicated questions. Incredible knowledge. I wonder what would happen if we set up one of those quizzes and ask some of the questions. You know what? This particular one, along with the answer that you're about to give, please tell us how it's worked out in your life. But oftentimes we don't ask that. We just want to make sure that we have the knowledge up here in our head. That's what was happening right here. Haddon Robinson, his book, Biblical Preaching, kind of poking his finger at preachers, wrote this. I love this. Dull preaching usually lacks creative application. Boring sermons evoke two complaints. Number one, it's always the same thing. The preacher always says the same thing. And number two, the sermon does not relate to the world directly in any practical sense. And then he writes this. It's true enough. People reason, but so what? What difference does it make? After all, if a man or woman decides to live under the mandate of Scripture, such action will normally take place outside the church building. And on the outside, people lose jobs, worry about their children, and find crabgrass invading their lawns. Seldom do normal people lose sleep over the Jebusites, Canaanites, or Parasites. Or even about what Abraham, Moses, or Paul had said or done. No, they lie awake wondering about grocery prices and crop failures and quarrels with a girlfriend and diagnosis of malignancy and a frustrating marriage and the rat race where only the rats seem to win. If the sermon does not make a difference to the world, people wonder if it makes any difference at all. And a preacher should forget about speaking to the ages and speak to today. A preacher must know his people as well as his message. Too many times we walk around with a religion that has absolutely nothing to do with the outside world. And what we amass in our heads and what we spend so much time debating are questions of religion and very little about relationship with God. I had the privilege of taking some seminary classes when, when I was on staff at a church in Southern California, and one of the professors that I had, incredible man of knowledge. I took an apologetics class from him, and I took an ethics class from him, and I have never met anybody with as much knowledge about those two areas as I did him. I learned so much from him, and he could talk on any subject, and he knew God's Word. And he would work it in and he would talk to us and he would drill us. And I remember walking away from his class week after week after week, saying, "Man, that guy is incredible in the knowledge that he has." We moved to Ecuador, came back on our first trip back. And I remember talking to a student who went to the university where he was teaching at, and I said, "And he told me about a class, and I said, "Hey, have you ever had this teacher?" And I mentioned this guy's name. And he said, you didn't hear about him? I said, no. And he said, well, he actually went totally sideways. Left his wife. Left the church. Left his job. Today, he says, he really wants nothing to do with Christianity. And I remember standing there just feeling like someone had just slugged me in the gut. And then later on, as I chewed on that, what happened? Again, I've never met anybody who had as much knowledge as he did on those subjects. But at some point in time, we've got to realize that debating the law, knowing stuff up here in our head, is not going to radically change our life. It's going to lead to legalism or it's going to lead to pride. And eventually it's going to catch up to us. And eventually we're going to reach a point where what we think we know and how we live have nothing to do with each other. And way too many people, when they reach that point, say, you know what? I don't care what I learned. I'm going this way. And as you and I grapple with theology, and as we grapple with all the things that God is teaching us, it has to be fleshed out in our daily life. And if it's not, may I suggest to you that it's of no value. And it's certainly not from God. That's what we find right here in this chapter. Mark chapter 12. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had asked giving them a good answer. He asked them of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus, boil it all down for us. Give it to us in small bites here. I know it's a big book. I know there's a lot there. Boil it all down. And then you know what his answer is because we read it. The most important one answer Jesus is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. And there's no commandment greater than these. Jesus says, okay, if you want to go that direction, I'll give it to you. Here's the two most important ones love God with everything you have, and love the people around you. And then I'm shocked by his arrogance in verse 32. Well said, teacher, the man replied. I'm sure Jesus felt better at this point. I'm sure that, you know, this guy says to Jesus, hey, hey, good answer. You know, Jesus went, okay, good, I'm glad you (laughs) approve. Come on. You are right in saying that. And then he recaps. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, and he did, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. What an incredibly scary place to be. What an incredibly scary place to be. You are not far from the kingdom of God. You're right there. But you missed it. You're right there. But you're not there yet. And from then on, no one dared to ask Him any more questions. Except for me. I'm reading this going, no, 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 you can't stop there. What happened to them? What happened to the story? I, I don't know if you talk to your Bible. Sometimes I do. When I'm reading, and I, and I, you know, you can't leave me hanging there. And that's when I'm so grateful for the Gospels. I'm so grateful that, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all wrote it down. And they wrote it down, I believe, for this very reason. Because sometimes we ask this question, where's the rest of the story? As Paul Harvey would say. Where where is the rest? And and so let's turn over. Look look at Luke chapter 10. We actually get a peek into the rest of the story. Luke chapter 10. I I immediately started looking. There's got to be more in here. You're not far from the kingdom of God. What happened to him? What exactly did Jesus mean by that? You have the truth, you understand it, he even articulated it out loud that I answered correctly. But you're not far. So let's go to Luke 10. Verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Jesus, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And he comes back with the same answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly. Jesus replied. And then look at those next words, powerful words. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. Do you catch that? Do you see what's happening? The same question comes up. What's written in the law? And he comes back, love the Lord your God, with everything you have and love your neighbor. Love the Lord your God comes out of Deuteronomy 6.5. And today it's known as the Shema. It's it's what a a devout Jew will say every morning when he wakes up and, and every night before he goes to bed. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It comes right out of Deuteronomy 6, and then the next part comes out of Leviticus 19. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus took both of those, put them together, and then added that third leg of the stool that is so important. Not just know that in your head. Don't just recite it on a daily basis. Don't just, every time you enter the tabernacle, say it. Do this. And you will live. What was missing out of his life? What was missing out of his life was action. He knew it. He said, let me tell you, I know the answer to the test. I know this one teacher... And Jesus said, you're not far from the kingdom. And the reason that he wasn't far is because he had part of the answer, but he did not have the whole one. No, the whole one was do this and you will live. And we still see people exactly like that today who swing to those two extremes. They swing to the extreme of, you know what, it is all about knowing about God. And I'm going to go away and I'm going to live in a cave and I'm going to do nothing but study God's word all day long. And we go to that extreme, and the other extreme is that I'm going to come over here and I'm going to serve God, and I'm going to do all kinds of great things for Him, but I'm not going to know Him. A friend of mine just recently was in Oakland with Habitat for Humanity, an incredible organization that started on godly principles by people who loved God, and said, you know what, we need to do something tangible for people who are in need. The problem for him as he took his youth group to Oakland thinking who he was getting involved with was he ran into staff people who were doing great things but had no connection with God. And he asked them, you know, do you know about this organization? Have you read the book about the founders? And they said, yeah, we've read it. What do you think about what they stand for? Oh, we don't really care about what they stand for. We just want to do good things for people. And you know, too many times today, we see people on those two extremes, God only or just helping people. And Jesus says, you know what? It's got to be both. It's got to be both. My love for God has got a result for people around me loving them. Those two things cannot be separated. They have to go together. And that was Jesus, what he was saying right here. James later on wrote all about it. Turn over to James. James chapter 2, familiar verses to you. James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? And that's a sobering question. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe there is one God good. Even the demons believe that. And they shudder. You foolish man. You see, when a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone, we could get really twisted here really fast. But I'm so glad Jesus cleared it up for us. Because we'll go right back to the Luke chapter. Jesus says, do this and you will live. What did he mean by that? And Jesus says, you know what? It's not all that complicated. It's really not. You say you belong to Jesus he's come into your life a free gift from god do this and you will live verse 29 but the man wanted to justify himself so he asked jesus who, who is my neighbor who, who's my neighbor is it the person who lives next to me is it the person behind me is it the per- who's my neighbor he was trying to justify himself he's trying to get around this Oh, how many times we try to justify ourselves. And so Jesus tells him a story that we're very familiar with. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you have. And then Jesus asked the million dollar question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor of the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And then, even the expert, even the one who came to debate, is crystal clear. The one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus said, Go and do likewise. Christian brother, Christian sister here tonight. Does your life reflect who you belong to? And it's not always about coming to this place and meeting together, although that is vitally important. But are we hearing these words from Jesus? Do this and you will live. Go and do likewise. This story was drilled home to me as I was in my house in Quito, Ecuador, we'd had a short term missions team in. It had been a long trip with a lot of people, and we were exhausted. We had taken these short term teams, as we often do, we'd taken them to the jungle, to an urban site there in the city. We were, had worked hard with them, Elizabeth and I. They left on a Sunday. And we said, you know what? Let's do this tomorrow morning. Let's get up and just spend time, just you and me together. Let's sit in the yard, grab a cup of coffee, and and just spend some time together. So we went to bed Sunday night. We got up Monday morning and we did exactly that. Put on a pot of coffee and each grabbed a cup and we walked out in our yard. It's a beautiful day in Quito. And we sat down in some chairs that we had over by the grass. Sipped a little bit of coffee and we were in the middle of conversation. And all of a sudden, right over by my gate, there was a voice called out to me. Felipe, Felipe, ayúdame. Ayúdame. Phil, Phil, help me. And I looked over at my gate, about from me to the wall, and here was a young man hanging over my gate. And the first thing I noticed is that he had blood dripping off of his hands. Second thing I noticed is it was Alex. See, Alex is a young man that has been a part of a program that we started a number of years ago. One of the huge problems in Quito, as in every major city around the world, is there's a lot of kids that live on the street. In fact, statistics tell us about 20% of the world's teenagers under the age of 15 live on the street. And we see that in Quito. Early on in the opening months, Elizabeth and I had been there. We saw a handful of teenagers and what they were doing to, to get by. They lived in the park and, and they stole and they did lots of different things. But one of the things they did is they, they took a torch and a little bit of diesel fuel and they'd put it in their mouth and they'd blow the diesel through the torch. And then they'd come around to your car and they would back. Alex was one of these kids. And so early on when we moved to Ecuador, God really moved in our heart and our life to do something about that. And so we did. We opened up a a little shelter where these teenage boys could come. and, and, And they could come a couple days a week and get a good meal and change their clothes, take a shower. And while they were waiting for a shower changing their clothes, we would sit and read Scripture together. And I'd tell them about Jesus. There's a program for teenage boys, and Alex was one of these boys that had been coming to the program for a while. One of the challenges with a group of boys like that, if you've done any of that kind of work here in the States, it's the same thing in a developing country. They've been out on the street a long time. By the time they're teenagers, they've been out five, six, seven years sometimes. And they sniff glue because that takes away your hunger, and it takes away... You're cold at night. And they party and they do all sorts of stuff. And then occasionally they get hurt. And it's in those moments when they get hurt that they usually come in and they're very repentant. I want to know all about God now, Phil. I want to give my life to Jesus. And usually that happens when they're in the operating room or in an emergency room at a hospital. But as soon as they get fixed up and they're back out on the street, some of the same challenges show up. And they kind of say, well, I want to continue to live out here and do what I'm doing. That's what we had seen in Alex's life for several years. Riding that roller coaster of sometimes wanting our help and sometimes saying, I want to stay on the street. And so this morning, we had sat down, we were physically exhausted. We just were trying to grab some time in the yard that got interrupted by Alex saying, you know what, ayula me, ayula me. And so I looked over at him and looked at Elizabeth and said, truth be told, I I don't want to help you today. I'm exhausted and, and I don't want to. But because he was persistent, and because he was bleeding on my sidewalk, I said, you know what, i, I, I got to at least go talk to him. And I put my coffee down, and I, I went around a little hedge that we have, and I came around, and I, I looked up at him, and, and he was bad. He had blood dripping on him, and he's bleeding, and he was dirty, and he would obviously been in a fight. See, what they do there on the street is they take a bottle and they'll just kind of snap off the end of it, hold the handle, and they'll fight with that. So he shows up and he's looking at me and, and he's saying, Felipe, ayúdame. Tú eres mi amigo, you're my friend. I said, you know what, I, I, I feel like anything but your friend right now. And Alex, stop dripping blood on my gate. Stop dripping it on my, on my pavement here. So, I, I thought to myself, "Okay, yeah, I, at least I can do is go grab some band aids and help him out and I'm sounding pretty callous right now because I, I really was feeling that way I'd helped him many, many times, so i went into the house and i grabbed some bandage some hydrogen peroxide and thought what would my mom do okay she would do this and this and this and this is what she did for me every time i get busted up so i, I went outside and i took bandage and hydrogen peroxide and 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 i had grabbed a shirt that i was he's about my size and and i thought okay i'll help him out he can get on his way and i can get back to what i was doing and so i went out there opened my gate and i walked out and i set him down on the curb and i said okay let's let's get going and i started looking at him First thing I realized is he was missing half of his pinky. I, uh, okay, hydrogen peroxide in a band-aid is not gonna solve that. second thing I noticed as he lifted up his shirt is he had a seeping wound right here that I can see is just seeping. Okay, that's gonna be tough to fix here at my house. And I'm starting to get frustrated. And I'm, you know, starting to one of my best lectures. Alex, what well, what are you doing? Come on, how many times have I told you that the street, is death in the street. Man, there's nothing in the street for you. And this frustrates me. And then right there in the middle of my frustration, God convicted my heart. And He convicted my heart with this story right here. You know what, Phil? You're the Samaritan. Right now, you've got to make a choice. Are you going to be the priest? Are you going to be the Levi? Or are you going to be the Samaritan? And I wish I had a super tender heart. But sitting there with Alex, I went, yeah, 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 yeah. I know Scripture, God. I know the story. And so I came back in and I looked at Elizabeth and said, I, I don't know what to do. I don't want to help them, But I feel convicted that I need to. And so I know this is not what we had planned. But I'm going to help him. So I went in the house and I grabbed a couple of towels to put down the seat of our car. Grabbed some clothes that would fit him. Because his clothes were worthless. I said, all right, Alex, come on. Get in my car. And he got in the car and we drove down to the clinic and I tried the best I could just to, to soften up to him a little bit. Tell me what happened. He started telling me the story. And we got to the clinic and we walked into this place and there were a couple hundred people in line. Stood in line with him, had him sit down. It, it took a while and I finally made it up to the window. You got to pay first. So I went up there and said, you know, I need to see a doctor. Probably need some stitches. And and they said, okay, you need to buy some medicine. So I did that. Kept Alex in line. About the time we got it paid, we made it inside, and they put us inside a room. And I went and I found a nurse. I said, hey, nurse, um, is there a doctor here? i need got a guy that needs to be seen. And she said, well, actually, we got a lot of people waiting. But the doctor, there's only one on duty here today, and he hasn't shown up. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. All right. So I sat with him for a little while longer, and finally the doctor came. Nurse started scrubbing him up, and they sutured his finger. They they sutured the, the gaping wound. Kind of working on him a little bit. And I'm contemplating this story. And then it hit me. Hey, you know what? That guy did not stick around. He didn't. He did not stick around. You know what, God? I, I've been obedient to you, and, I, and I'm following Scripture, and, and, I, and I've got him. I've, I've taken pity on him. I, his wounds are bandaged. And so I, I looked at the doctor, and I, I said, you know what, here's my card. And I work just down the street here from you. And if there's any other expenses that he incurs, I'm happy to pay for him. That's what he did. But then I love the part where he says, look after him. I'll reimburse you. And then he laughed. And so that's what I did. Right there in the hospital, I said to Alex, you know what, dude? Here's some clothes. Your bill is paid. You're being looked after. I'm out of here. I'm going back to my wife and my cup of coffee. (laughs) And I left the clinic. And I saw Alex a while later, a couple days, a week later, and he showed me his stitches and he recuperated. I'd love to tell you that Alex dropped to his knees and gave his life to Christ forever. But it didn't happen. But you know what? As I was driving back to my house, you know what I heard God say? Fill for today. For today, right now. You got it. You understood today what I was calling you to do, because Phil, I, I don't really care about how much knowledge you have. I, I don't care that you've been to Bible school; that was cool, and and you've been halfway through seminary; and that was cool. Phil, you know you, you're a youth pastor for years in California, and, and and that was cool. But you know it really doesn't matter. Phil, you, you're you're a missionary now, and you're serving me in South America, but That really doesn't matter. Today, when I called you this morning, for just this brief window, this moment, you got it. And Phil, that's what I'm calling you to do, to love me with everything. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And I believe that's what God's calling you to do. And then Phil, I'm calling you to love the people that I bring across your path. Those people in your home. Your spouse. Your children. Your brothers and sisters. The people that you go to school with. The people that you work with. The people you meet at the store, the complete strangers. Love me with everything you have and love them. And oftentimes we look at a story like this and we think that the story is all about the person that got beat up. But I'm not sure it is. God said, you know what, the person who got it in this story is the Samaritan." Did the person who got beat up need help? Absolutely. But we really don't know anything about them other than that. But we see a priest and a Levite who pass by on the other side. Because the reality in our lives is that we want to pass by on the other side. Because sometimes helping people takes my time. It it takes my energy. It takes my resources. This may cost me money. It's going to take my love. It's going to interrupt my life. But you know what I think more than anything else? All of those things that I just listed, taking time and energy and resource and love and interrupting our life, that's what God did for us. That's what He did for us. For God so loved the world that He sat in heaven and He formed a committee and He thought about it but finally decided not to do anything about it other than to say how much He loved them. Man, I'm glad it doesn't read that way. No, for God so loved the world that He did something about it. He gave His Son Jesus said, I will go, even though it takes my time and my energy and my love and my resource and my very life. You see, something happens when we decide that I want to take Jesus seriously and not just answer correctly. But do this and you will live. Go and do likewise. Likewise. Something happens, and I believe what happens is that we become a little bit more like God. You see, Genesis says we were created in His image. Biblical times understood that. That when a king or a ruler wanted His image to be throughout the kingdom, they would take a little statue of themselves, and they would put it in all the little towns and all the little villages in the kingdom. So that people would always know what the king looked like and that the king was in charge. That's what that word image means. Guess what? God has not put, God has not put little statues of himself all around the world in towns and villages. But you know what he has put there? He's put you there. He's put me there. And we are created in his image to be like him. How are you doing it bearing the image of God? Where you live, where you work, where you hang out, where you go to school. This is the way we do it. By not only saying how much we love God, but by saying, you know what? I will live with my eyes open. And the people who I come across... Or who God brings across my path. Even though it's messy. Even though it takes time. I will give. Because I serve a God who gives. And I will take a step closer to Him. In this walk. In this journey. I want to be like Jesus. And Jesus was not afraid of the messy. He was not afraid of time. He was not afraid of giving his resources. That's how I want to live my life. It's a great little book called Taking Up Your Cross. And the writer writes this, and I want you just to listen for a second. She writes about an article that appeared in USA Today entitled, By the Sea, By the Sea, How Happy We'll Be Without a Pool. The author of this article surmised that the world is divided into two groups, pool people and ocean people. And having spent most of her life near the ocean, she she readily related to this story The author noted the absurdity of Americans building swimming pools right on the ocean's edge, thinking we can do better than nature by painting it turquoise. Reminiscing over his childhood, he told how a rectangle of water in the middle of a parking lot wowed him for the first time. He left the farm and stayed at a Holiday Inn. But later on, he he wrote this. But after I saw the ocean, the Holiday Inn seemed well inadequate I ask you can you take a long walk along a pool can you pick up wonderful things around a pool take them home and keep them forever can your dog romp for miles along a pool can you sit and gaze out at a pool for hours on end can a pool outside your window lull you to sleep pool people of course say that the ocean is messy There are things in there, they cry. And the waves, they knock you down and all that sand gets stuck in your bathing suit. Well, that's the whole point. It's noisy and body and unpredictable and gives off a glorious smell when irritated. And sometimes it's just downright rude. It throws sand in your face. That's the fun of it. The ocean makes you laugh. A pool never does. And then the author of this little book writes this. As I reflected on his words that day, it occurred to me that there are two kinds of people in the church as well. There are those who are not experiencing the living God and instead serve a lesser God of their own making. Like pool people, they build a life, paint it with religious activity and good works, and fill it with the wealth of this world. They keep it clean, manage it well, and believe that it's the best they can hope for. Tragically, just beyond the edge of their existence lies the ocean of God's glory. And oh, what an ocean it is. There have always been those eager to ride its waves, explore its depths, and be continually confounded by its power. True, they've learned it can be a messy place. El Shaddai knocks them down and throws sand in their face. The Lion of Judah is unpredictable. He roars and reacts magnificently when irritated, but oh, how the King of glory makes us laugh. His face shines into our soul, creating a bubbling cauldron of joy that seeps out of the depths of our being. And life without that, no matter how we embellish it, is only a caricature of a real thing. All the while, the ocean of God's glory beckons to every one of us. How could we ever resist? I love that. And what I hear Jesus saying is that you can sit on the sidelines and you can be close to the kingdom or you can jump in. Sometimes messy, sometimes costly. But as we're talking about walking with God, I don't want to sit on the sidelines. I don't want to be out of the game, just talking about theology, debating it at times, absolutely powerless and ineffective. I want to be in the game. And I want to say, God, as you have radically changed my life, I want you to use me to impact others. This camp that we were just at, Hume Lake. Their signature, if you will, how they kind of represent themselves is some rings. And it's what happens when you drop a rock into some water. The impact is made. And the ripple effect goes out. And that's their passion to impact as many people with the gospel of Jesus Christ as they can. And I want to ask you that question tonight as the rock of your life gets dropped into the pond of this world, with Jesus as your Savior and your Lord living out God's Word on a daily basis, looking around saying, you know what, I want to love God with everything I have. And then I want to love the people around me, whoever that is. How big will the impact of your life be? What difference will your life make and my life make in eternity? By God's glory and to his honor, not ours, may our impact be great. Because we take God's word and we put it into practice. Who are the neighbors around you? If it was you and Jesus face to face in this conversation... And he asked you, who are the neighbors that I've put around you? I wonder if tonight you can mentally think through that. Who are those neighbors? Who are those people you see on a daily basis? Are they seeing Jesus? And if not, why not? Let's pray together. And again, just before I close in prayer, I'll give you just a moment. I want you to mentally think about those people that God has put around you. Maybe it's your neighborhood, maybe it's your school, maybe it's the people you work with every day. I'll give you just a moment to pray for those people by name and then to pray and ask God. And as he gives you opportunity, you would not pass them by. Lord, there's people like Alex that you bring into our life every single day. Sometimes they hang over our gate unannounced, and other times they're not only announced, they're our friends. Lord, remind us tonight that it's, it's not our job to save them. That, that's your job. It's just our job to be Faithful. To love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. And then love those people around us. So Lord, give us the wisdom and insight to know when to put down our palm pilots and our day planners. And just say, okay, this isn't what I had planned, but right now I will spend time loving Lord, help us to balance the spouses and the families you've given us with the calling to welcome people in Jesus' name. Lord, that's tough sometimes, so give us that balance. Help people to see our families and our marriages in such a way that they reflect you as well. Lord, thank you for the faith that you have given us to believe in you. Lord, remind us tonight that that incredible love that we have for you has got to spill out in love for the people around us. Those things have got to go hand in hand. And Lord, again, I thank you that we don't do that on our own. Thank you that you've given us your word given us your spirit you've given us each other may we be encouragement love sharpening thank you for this body continue to use each one of us until everyone on this planet has heard the truth of jesus that's in his name we pray Amen. amen amen thank you for being here tonight